Oh, I appreciate that, ladies. Thank you for a good reminder. And I think we could all vouch for that, that when we neglect to pray, we can often be, um, often be misaligned, not only misaligned to the will of God, but often in the, in the heart of God. And so we're glad for that great reminder. And uh, no doubt you're familiar with this story here that we've read this morning in Luke chapter 7. And it's a famous one. We often, often when we look at this, we focus on the, the woman who gave a great sacrifice. And we will in this morning look at that a little bit. But I want to give you just the, just the, the situation that the Lord Jesus found himself here and you know, the Lord, no doubt, if you imagine the kind of influence and the kind of uh, even popularity that he had in his day as he went about and he, he wrought all of those great miracles, a lot of different groups within society would have been clamoring for his time. They would have been looking to spend a bit of time and get to know this one that uh, seemed, to be, seemed, seemed to be doing all of these great works and they probably wanted to know a little bit of his secret and what, what, was, uh, what was behind all of that. And we find one that, uh, that here we read invites Jesus to, to, to his home. And all of us here, um, no doubt, we've, we've been a guest before. We've been invited somewhere and asked to come and be, be part of something. And, and uh, no doubt you've come to a place and, and you've re- immediately perhaps sensed the hospitality of someone and how they've treated you. And, and we all, I think we all go to places, especially places that maybe we, we're not so familiar with, and we want to get a sense of a welcome, a sense of hospitality. And, and I think in a, in a, if I can just pause here, really as a church, we ought, to, we ought to have that heart when people come in, that there's a warmth and there's a real welcome and there's a real sense of care. And, and that's all we really want when we come into a new place, don't we? We want to f- feel cared for. And, and, and what we find, though, is... Uh, this was a situation Jesus found himself. And, you know, for, sometimes we're invited over to a house and there's all of those that, that uh, the, the host comes along and maybe initially they welcome you, they at least open the door and you come in and then you find your own seat, maybe. You suddenly realize there's, as you look around, the place hasn't really been prepared, there's rubbish strewn around and, and everywhere and then you get a general ambience of the house, it's feeling chaotic and none of us feel welcome in that situation, do we? You know, someone once said that some folks make you feel at home, others make you wish you were at home. And it's not a good feeling, is it, when you get that sense? And you've not been, as a guest, treated kindly, and you don't feel like you're maybe valued by your host. And the way we treat people, I think, in that situation generally tells us something about what you think about that person, but also what you think about yourself. And we see this dynamic being played out in our text. Jesus, after speaking about how that generation of people rejected him, like children, children wanting to play their own tune, he was invited by this Pharisee named Simon. Simon, presumably, was with the crowd that heard Jesus' speech regarding John the Baptist, and then the woes to the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum and and Jesus, upon accepting Simon's invitation, finds himself in, in Simon's house, knowing full well that, that this woman was going to come in the midst of all of this and do something that 
perhaps sort of was going to uh, cause a stir. And what we're going to find in our story this morning is that we're going to see a contrast here. Simon, a Pharisee, really as the host, shows a lack of care toward Jesus. And then suddenly in, the, in, the, in all of this happening in Simon's house, this woman, unnamed really in this story, in this, uh, in this particular um, telling of this, shows what we see an extravagant attention toward Jesus. And there's a contrast there. There's contrasting ways that, that, that we see in this story people treat Jesus. And if we're honest today as we look around and maybe even evaluate our own lives, there's sometimes contrasting ways we treat Jesus. You know, there's, there's contrasting ways and we observe ourselves sometimes in, in the way we would serve, the way we would sacrifice, the way we would treat Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, it, it, there's times where we evaluate even others and we see that. And if we're not careful, we go into a mode of comparison. And some we see are committed and have great zeal for Christ, while others only give what they want to give and have convenience as a rule of thumb. And, and what we find, though, is this was, this was even in Jesus' day something that was observable. And so I want to ask you the question this morning, how do you treat Jesus? And we're going to observe really firstly some of the happenings of the story and then glean some lessons that hopefully we can use to evaluate ourselves and then maybe get back on track. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We want to thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, just the opportunity that we have to look at our Lord once again and see, Lord, just his, Lord, his graciousness to those who have greatest need. Lord, we come knowing, dear Lord, that we are those. We're, we're those who have great need of you. And we pray, Father, that you would minister to us, Lord, all of us here. We're all at different levels of need. But, Lord, in, in comparison to who you are, dear God, we are, we are greatly needy. And we pray that you'd help us, Lord, to understand the, the things that you've, you, you're teaching here in your word. We pray that you would minister to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, all of us here, we have our different heartaches, we have our different sorrows, and Lord, if we're, we're honest, we, we just come in a, in a place, Lord, where we just, uh, Lord, want to wanna, wanna see, Lord, just your work in our lives, and so I pray that you would please help us then, Lord, to respond accordingly. Uh, Lord, help us to see ourselves in the story, help us to see you most of all, and we give you all the, all the honor and praise in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name, amen. And the first thing we, we note here is really... Simon's lack of care. And again, if I could note with to, to you this morning, really, Jesus came at the behest of Simon. He came in verse 36. Simon there, he says, one of the Pharisees decided him that he would eat with him. And uh, we see that the Lord Jesus, he, he was no respecter of persons. He often went where he was invited. He came, he saw Zacchaeus, he saw, and he was often uh, accused of sitting with those who are sinners and eating with those who are sinners and even wine bibbers. And, and Jesus had no respect of persons. We see him at night talking with another Pharisee, right? Sitting with him and Nicodemus, you must be born again. And so this was not an unusual occasion for Jesus to accept an invitation. And so no doubt he was coming in and, you know, there's was, there was all the customary things that you're supposed to do. But what we note about Simon in 
the one that initiated the visit, he was the one here that showed a lack of care. You understand that when you are invited to a, a gathering, you're invited somewhere that you as the host, you have the greatest responsibility. You're the one that initiated the, the time to spend together. And so, of course, it's your responsibility to make sure that everything's set up, everything's, everything's clean, all of the, the things that, you, that, uh, that is expected of you, you can care for. And so Simon came in with that expectation. And the Lord Jesus, as the guest, came knowing that there was going to be supposed to be a proper thing to do to, for, for Simon to, have a, to be a good host. But what we find about Simon is that he had done the minimum. You see, he, he, he wanted Jesus. He understood maybe perhaps all of the, the things that were happening around Jesus. And, and no doubt in some way, this may have been a, bo- a boost to his own reputation that this rabbi, this master, this one that everyone was talking about was now being seen with him. And, and this, the, Simon, though, in his response, he did the bare minimum. He invited Jesus. He, he was going to be polite and give him food, but there was nothing that was befitting actually someone of this great stature that we know that the Lord uh, should have been given. And uh, what we find there, notice in verses, uh, verse, verses 44 to 46, and notice what, what he says, and he turned to the woman. So now the woman has come, but he, he actually turns to Simon. And he says to Simon, unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? And notice what Jesus' observation was, because now he has a contrasting response. He says, I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. And you understand the custom there was that because they, they walked around often in dusty streets and all of that, that the custom was as, as people entered into a home that you would wash their feet from the dirt, so they would feel the, the comfort of your hospitality. He, he tells Simon, you didn't wash my feet. You know, and, and I, to be honest, if, if I was in that custom, that would be the thing that I would least look forward to, right? Who likes washing feet, right? You, you, some of us don't even wash our own feet, let alone someone else's feet. And we understand that the, the, how dirty that would be. But it was customary in that day to wash someone's feet as the host. Notice again what he, he, he continues. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Notice the next thing he says in verse 45. Thou gavest me no kiss. That was a sign of, of welcome in their culture. It was a sign that you are with me. There's a closeness. You are a welcome guest. And he was saying to, to Simon, the host, you know, you, you, I came to your house and you didn't even give me a a kiss of greeting. You didn't welcome me properly. Then in verse 46, notice, My head with oil thou didst not anoint. The oil was a fragrance that, that helped. And again, in that day where, where it was, it was the, the environment that, that they walked through to get it to a home meant that they smelt often, and that was just a, another customary thing for, for there to be a pleasant smell in the room, that there would be an anointing of oil. Again, a welcome. And all of those things Simon didn't do, Jesus had observed that. And what we're saying is it was the host's responsibility to ensure proper honor was given to the honored guests. We see that and look at Luke chapter 14 with me. Turn to this chapter, Luke chapter 14. 
And he's using this parable, but notice, the, notice again the, the kind of custom that there was for those who were honorable. When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest the more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. When he that bade thee cometh, he may, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. And, and the parable was, was talking about something, but the, there's a custom there of understanding there were those guests that come into the room that had the greatest honor. They were the most honorable guests because of their reputation, because of what their standing in, in society was. And there was a, a level of of, of hospitality that you were meant to provide for honorable guests. There was a level there of of Simon's care that should have been towards Jesus. And what we find though, it it was his actions actually demonstrated what he really thought of Jesus. You know the saying that actions speak louder than words. And we understand that there's things that we can say but our actions can sometimes betray what we say. And what we find there in, in this situation, in Simon's, Simon's uh, treatment of Jesus, was that his actions demonstrated what he really thought of Jesus. See, the, that was the case of many people in Jesus' day. In Matthew 15, 8, the, the, people say, the Bible says, The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know, Simon here in this story, if you were careful in our following in our reading, you know, Simon even called Jesus master. That, that was a high, that was a high uh, title to give someone. That was a title of honor. So Simon with his words was saying the right things. And you know, there's many Christians who say the right things in church. There's many of us who would say the right things, but how are our actions? And and Simon's actions betrayed him. His actions actually demonstrated what he thought of Jesus. And perhaps this was the general way that people treated Jesus in that day. They loved his theatrics. They loved the fact that he, he wrought those great miracles and they couldn't explain it any other way but to say he must be a master, he must be a rabbi. But how, how many of them actually followed him? How many of them at, at, his, at his death were there to observe? You think about the 12 disciples, only one actually turned up at the cross. And we see that again as, as Simon hosts Jesus, it was evident through his actions what he really thought of Jesus. He was saying the right things. But, but the, his actions betrayed him. And too many people love perhaps to be associated with Jesus, but their actions don't actually honor him. And what it was is sometimes we think of Jesus as someone who's prominent. And maybe you think of Jesus as someone prominent in your life. But he can't just be prominent. He actually should be preeminent. He's not someone that should just be prominent in our lives. Like, you know, well, he's prominent. I understand Jesus' place in my life. After all, he saved me, and that's great. After all, I mean, I understand his love for me. I understand all of that, and he's prominent in that way. 
But my question to you is, is, is he actually pre- preeminent? Because he's not only Savior, he's Lord. He is actually the one that is supposed to be above all and already mentioned today how, how he is. We, we owe our lives to him. And, and too many people love to be associated with Jesus, but their actions don't honor him. And what we find is that his lack of hospitality, hospitality really indicated a prideful view of himself. Because the way he was treating Jesus was, was as if he was some sort of equal. You know, he says in, in verse 39, if he were a prophet, you know, the rumor about Jesus was he was some sort of reiteration of, uh, of Elijah or John the Baptist. And there were some things about him that they said, well, he's like one of the mighty prophets. And, and yet here uh, in verse 39, after the, 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 the woman comes in, notice what, what Simon, he says, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this was. You know what he was saying? You know, he, or he, he had some sort of questioning about Jesus' validity. He was saying, is, is this really, is he really who he says he is? And what it was is the fact that Simon didn't treat Jesus with honor indicated really that he saw Jesus as unworthy of that kind of attention. He was somewhat unworthy of the place of honor. In fact, in observing the contrasting way that the woman treated Jesus, he judged Jesus for accepting such treatment. He says, if he were a prophet. And what Simon did, he saw himself in a lifted up way. He somewhat, I think, had a, had a sense that he was just another religious leader, just like Simon himself. You know, the Pharisees in a day saw themselves in a great light, didn't they? They walked around with the phylacteries. They walked around with great ceremonial, in a great ceremonial way. They were often treated the best in every household. When Pharisees went, it was a big deal. They were the, they were the stars of the day in that, in that hyper-religious culture that they lived in. And they were used to be treating, treated like the, the stars and treated like the honorable guests. And the way that, that Simon responded to Jesus actually indicated that he thought himself equal to Jesus. He thought himself as someone that, you know, I don't need to offer this man that kind of honor because we're just religious leaders, he and I. He has his following, and actually, I'm Simon, I have my own following. And I don't need to treat Jesus in any way more than that because really, we're just the same. Really, we're just the same kind of, you know, we're, we're, we have our own following. And what we find later on in the story is that even as Jesus corrects him, and remember, remember verses 44 to, down to uh, verse 47 was really addressed to Simon. He says in verse 44, he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. So this wasn't anything for the woman to hear. This was actually for Simon to hear. This wasn't to prop up the woman who had, we'll see in a little while, how she responded, how she treated Jesus. This was to do with, with really Simon learning something. And Simon, you know, in his, sadly, in his pride, wasn't willing to listen. He wasn't willing to understand what, what it was that he needed to get right. And what I'm saying is we find that his lack of remorse actually indicted him of mistreating Jesus. This was an indictment on Simon. This was an indictment of where he was really at and and he should have known better. He knew the law. He was a Pharisee. 
But the greatest evidence of this guilt was his lack of remorse. And you read it, nowhere in the passage do we see Simon remorseful for his lack of care. In verse 43, again, Simon answered and said, after that parable of the debtors, I suppose that he. He, he, That was meant to be a a lesson for Simon to get it. But but Simon, even in that situation, I suppose he... And we find that Simon was a bit presumptuous in his position. He wasn't remorseful about the lesson and the the pointedness that Jesus was giving him. He was presumptuous, not remorseful. His presumption was that none of Jesus' response actually had anything to do with him. And all he could think about was the sin of the woman. And what we find about Simon is that he, he showed a great lack of care. And I wonder if there's times where we treat Jesus like, like Simon does. I wonder if there's times where we, we honor him with our words but not with our actions. I wonder if there's times where, where actually Jesus is trying to get our attention about our issue and actually we're looking at someone else and saying, well, that's good for them. Someone else listened to that. When actually Jesus is trying to get our attention. And so what we find firstly is we see Simon's lack of care but I want you to note the contrast, the woman's extravagant act. And we know this is usually the emphasis of the story. This woman here, again, is not identified. She's got no name given. She's got no other characteristics said about her. But this, the Bible is very pointed. She was a sinner. And we know that different places in Scripture, it bears out that this woman wasn't just a woman. She was a woman who was a sinner in this way. She was a harlot. She was someone who had uh, the, the lowest reputation in society. She was someone that, that even, even, even the common person would look down on and, and say, you know, if there was a sinner to define, she would be the definition of it. And it's, so, it's highly likely that this woman, she was this controversial woman. The fact that Simon thought in his heart, notice that the manner of woman that she, that, that she was, indicates that she was probably that. She was a great sinner. She was a harlot. We see here, though, that she comes actually without invitation. She comes voluntarily to honor Jesus. And we see that she go, goes at lengths. We see that she brings about all of those things that Simon neglected to do, she did. She came without any invitation. She notes Jesus' presence in Simon's house and goes to give Jesus honor. And you think about what she did. What she did was humiliating. It showed absolute humility and humbleness to come and be low and to be seen. And you know what? She didn't come to be seen, but she was seen. Her own reputation, as tarnished as it was, it mattered nothing to her. It didn't matter what people thought. This was her Lord. This was going to be an extravagant act. And what I want to say to you this morning is that her sacrifice, that was befitting in honoring the Lord that was in the house. It was befitting. 
We note there what she brought. She brought an alabaster box. We, we see that of ointment. Alabaster was considered the best material to do, uh, to have to preserve precious ointment. Precious ointment in that day was a valuable thing and uh, many have estimated that the box along with the ointment would have been the equivalent to a year's wage. And if you look at that in our, our Aussie standards, you know what that is? The, the, median, the median wage in our day is $58,000. Now, I don't know about you, I've never seen a $58,000 offering in the offering. Okay, I'm not hinting. I'm just saying I've never seen that. A whole year's wage. You imagine you putting away everything that comes into your bank account just to save it for one thing. You know, all of us, a lot of us do that for other pursuits, don't we? You know, we won't think, we won't think anything if we're trying to save for that dream car, that dream home. But, but sometimes we can look at that and, and just like Judas, when something of great favor comes in, we sort of look at that and go, how dare they do that for the things of God? And it is, we, we call it extravagant because actually it's our, it's our metric. This was to Jesus and it's extravagant. And sometimes the thinking needs to change. And what, what it was, her sacrifice was actually, it was befitting the Lord of the house. Spurgeon said it this way in his commentary. He said, Then she bethought her of that alabaster box containing perfumed oil with which, like most Eastern women, she was wont to anoint herself for the pleasure of the smell and for the increase of her beauty. And now opening it, she pours out the costliest thing she has upon his blessed feet. Not a word, I say, came from her. And brethren, we would prefer a single speechless lover of Jesus who acted as she did to 10,000 noisy talkers who have no gifts, no heart, no tears. And you know, sometimes we, we, we view things that are less valuable with greater celebration than the actual thing that ought to be celebrated. And what I'm saying was she didn't hesitate. She understood who Jesus was. She understood that this was going to be her lavishing her love upon the one whom greatly loved this great sinner. And what we find is that her humility was in recognition of who Jesus is. You know, you, you think about her posture. It was low. It was bowed. It was tearful. It was unaware of the judgment of those around her. This was Jesus, her great Lord, her great Savior. She understood that no sacrifice was too great. No worship was too undeserving. And she was humble. Why? Because she recognized absolutely who he was. Now, sometimes we recoil at uh, any suggestion that we can serve more. That we ought to do more. That, that somehow the, the, the offerings that we give of ourselves, of our time, of our talents, of our treasures, that that's more than we, could, we ought to do for the Lord. And we sometimes recoil and sometimes even cringe a little bit at the suggestion that maybe Jesus is worth more. 
And sometimes we look at that and we go and, and we, we, we're, we're dumbfounded at sometimes the sacrifice of those that seem to have all of the talent of the world and all of the, all of the resources and suddenly they're giving it all and the, it'll make news headlines all around the world or some of, these, you know, some of these sports stars who earn millions, how dare they take a year off of their career just to do something that they think is for the Lord. And we'll look at that and we'll go, what a waste. Well, we could do more with that. And yet what we find is that it was her humility that caused her to, to act so extravagantly. And it was actually a recognition for her of who Jesus really was. And what we find is her brokenness, it was really an affirmation of her great guilt. And she came because she understood her guilt. In verses 41 to 42, we see this, this parable. And this parable was really uh, something that Jesus was pointing out to Simon. It was something for Simon to learn. And she was the one that was really the demonstration of the parable. She was the one in great debt. You read it with me. And Jesus answering said unto him in, Simon, in verse 40, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, again he's saying, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. So I notice there there's two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had done nothing, had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him the most. And notice Simon's response, I suppose, that he to whom he forgave the most. And, but what he missed was this. He missed that there were two debtors. He just thought there was one debtor, but Jesus was clear. He said, there's two debtors. Not at one time did he acknowledge he was one of the debtors. Not at one time did he acknowledge that perhaps he owed. Not at one time did he realize that actually Jesus was referring to him. And what, he, what we find, though, is that actually the demonstration of this parable, in the brokenness of her response, in the brokenness of her extravagant sacrifice and act, it was demonstrated by this woman who was a great sinner. And I wonder if we treat Jesus that way. I wonder when we recall to mind the day that we got saved, the, the feeling of lightness in our heart because of the burden that's been lifted, because of the sins that have been forgiven. I wonder if we look at that and we recognize the great sin that Jesus had to pay for, or do we see ourselves like Simon as the one with the, maybe not even a debtor, but certainly at most he should have recognized he was the one with little sin. He, he should have recognized that at least maybe he was one of these. But I wonder if we're extravagant in the way we respond to Jesus in our sacrifice, our service, and our worship. You know, are you one that would go beyond what was merely expected and that's the question, how do you treat Jesus? And so what's our learning for today? I think firstly, you know, our response, whether it's extravagant or little, it won't, it won't go unnoticed. You know, Jesus noticed how he was treated. And to one, he offered peace and to, uh, to the other, correction. I want to say today, how you treat Jesus is your commitment to Him, it's your service to Him, it's in your generosity to Him. All of that, we understand, is being accounted for. 
Right? God knows our, our hearts. God knows us. And, and it's grace that will save you. Let me be clear. But it's grace that should cause you to treat Jesus with a greater love. And Jesus was teaching here that there's some who will love greatly and others who will love minimally. And Jesus sees how, how we treat him by how we treat his word, how we treat his house, how we treat his family, how we treat his work. Over and over again, the Lord Jesus himself, in referring to the local churches of Asia Minor there in the book of Revelation, over and over again, he says, I know thy works. He knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows how we respond. He knows if it's lip service or it's real. And what was said to every church there in Asia Minor, he knows. He knows how we treat him. And no, there's no, no facade that can fool him. We can't speak the words without him seeing the heart behind it. We can't do things in, in, in view of others without him actually seeing the very motive the very, the, very, uh, the very thoughts in our minds that accompany it. And we can, we, can, we can try to fool Jesus, but we can't fool Him at all. And what I'm saying is actually our response and how we treat Him, God the Lord knows. And we can never, never hide that from Him. But what we find also Secondly, is the way we see ourselves will really will be the, the thing that determines the, the way we treat Jesus. So really, the question is asking here this morning, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself this morning? See, the way we see ourselves will determine the way we treat Jesus, because really that was the crux of the matter here. Simon saw himself somewhat a Pharisee. He saw himself really as no debtor at all. He completely ignored the parable that was just told. In the parable, there were two debtors. This was a comparison, but nevertheless, there was a similarity. They were both debtors. And he was, he was the man with little owing, perhaps, and so there was no great love, but he missed it. He missed the fact that he was a debtor. He missed the fact that there was forgiveness. He missed the fact that actually, because of that, he should have made much more of Jesus. And maybe you're, you're looking at your own life and maybe in comparison to others, you might, might say, well, I don't have as, as great a debt, but nevertheless, can I say whether that's true or not, you were still a debtor anyway. You still had to be forgiven. There still needed to be time where, where you had to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for payment for your sin. And no matter what that sin looked like, he still had to pay for it. And too many times we just... Because we see others perhaps and we say, well, they should love more because they're being forgiven more. We forget that we were a debtor in the first place. But see, you remember the woman. She was a great debtor. She could fully own up to the great sin that she had committed. And therefore, it was great forgiveness from a great Savior that was her greatest need. And her extravagant display was in proportion to the great sin she had been pardoned by and we see we see the contrast and so really the question is how do you see yourself this morning do you see yourself as someone who had a great debt do you see the the sin that Jesus had to take on the cross of Calvary and praise God he was able praise God he was willing but it was your sin it was my sin it was a sin of all the world 
but we contributed to that load. And too many times we forget and too many times we're too far removed and we've been polished a little bit and we've, we've refined a little bit and, and thank God that He does that working through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. And I'm not saying that we glorify the sin that we've been saved from. I'm just saying let's not forget it. Let's not forget all that, that Jesus has done for us and let's not forget the great forgiveness that we've been given and let that be the motive of our service for Him. Let that be the, the driving force in our lives that each day we wake up and re- recognize again that we are a debtor and, and we owe no more because of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we find is that really it's how we see ourselves. We see it, the outworking of it in the contrast in treatment. One saw himself as forgiven little, so he loved little. And the other saw herself as forgiven much, so she loved greatly. And so we see that. And then really lastly, the way we treat Jesus, Jesus should be in response to the great debt that he has forgiven. And I want to remind you that the point for Simon and the point for all of us really is, was that he was also a great debtor. You know, he was judging the woman to be a great sinner, but he didn't understand actually that he was also a great sinner. You know, you, you think about the, the amounts here that the Lord Jesus, one owed 500 pence and the other 50. You know, 50 pence is still a, quite a sum in that day. It was still quite a sum. And what the, the implication was is they actually wasn't even implied. They had nothing to pay. That means they couldn't pay. Hey, listen, as little or as much as you think and we think we've been, we, we sinned, None of us could have paid it. None of us could have paid it. You know, I read years ago, and I think in the last two years I picked it up again. If you ever read the book, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's a classic by someone who had some sort of religious background, Robert Louis Stevenson. And, and in the story, really, Jekyll underestimates the great evil that Mr. Hyde was. What it was, was a doctor, he tried to separate the, the evil that was within him. And he thought, he thought if, we could, if we could separate those two natures, then somehow he could be purely good and then we could have someone who's just purely evil that you could deal with. But what happened was, as, as the more Dr. Jekyll tried to separate himself from Mr. Hyde, what he understood was that actually they were the same person. And a quote from the book that is, is telling, he says, but because I attempted to rid man of the bad seed that resides in him, I find now to my sorrow that such a task is impossible. And you know, mankind would do well to recognize that that task is impossible. That actually all of the good that man tries to do to outweigh his bad, all of his good can never outweigh all of his bad. Because actually, because we're sinners, we sin. Because of that, we're guilty before a holy God. And because of that, we have a great debt to pay. And I want to remind you this morning, we couldn't pay. You know, and we ought not to take that lightly. That's why when we look at our lives, we're, we've been bought with a price. Some of us think that price wasn't that great, but that price was a, was a life 
was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, the Holy Lamb. And he, we see Him in, in His love for us, and we see Him, the, the great price He had to pay. And then how do we treat Jesus, though? You know, the, the, the world today, and, and, and sometimes Christendom, we see the lack of care. We still have the problem of reaching the world. We still have the problem of a lack of laborers. We still have a problem of, of churches. Sometimes we just struggle. And the resources are there. God, in His grace, has given it. And how do we respond? Sometimes we respond with little. There's a call. There's a beg. And we go about and we won't change. And we won't, we won't. And here's why. Because I think we've just thought, well, it's a little debt. Well, I mean, Jesus and I, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're equal, really, is what we're saying. Why should I treat him more than, than everyone else does? And such an approach and such a, sometimes we, we ought to normalize. What we ought to normalize is extravagant acts for the Lord. That's ought to, that ought to be. And a genuine just heart just to realize that actually, because man was altogether sinful, the, th- the, the debt we think little compared to others is still a great debt that we could never pay. And it, so it had to be forgiven. And the one who's forgiven us is the one that, that, is, that we invited into our hearts. And so we ought to treat him right. It, it ought not to be a great thing to, to be, you know, to, to sacrifice our time to get in the word of God. To get into some time of prayer, to, to go across the road or across the, 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 the world to tell someone else about the Lord or go about and try to live a life that will be pleasing to Him. That's no sacrifice at all in comparison to the great debt that He paid for us. And too many times we just were so casual about the things of the Lord because we're forgotten that we're great debtors too. And so, how do you treat Jesus? You know, the Bible tells us in Romans 5:20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know, I was just praying this morning, just praying for more grace because I know, I just know I'm a great sinner. You know, I think about Paul who said about himself, he's the chiefest of sinners. He saw all of what he had done to the church of God. And we walk around sometimes with just a, just such a casual and blasé approach to the things of God because actually we've just not recognized that we were a great debtor too. And sometimes we go about in life and I believe we treat Jesus with little regard at times because we think our sin was not so great to pay. And I'm saying let's have a better view of that. That, that we, need, we need to because we did much sin. Because he did forgive much, and therefore we ought to love much. And what, where Simon faltered, we ought to take great care to correct in our own lives. And how do we treat Jesus? Do we treat him with minimal fuss? Do we treat him like an, an afterthought, given only the time that we feel convenient to give? How do we give him honor in the way we live our lives in every breathing in every heartbeat? Do we, do we treat him as a distinguished guest that actually is now living in our heart? 
that we make sure that those things that are, are grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching His power in our lives, that we recognize that those things ought to be taken care of because we don't want to mistreat Jesus. Do we treat Him generously? Do we understand that no, actually no sacrifice is too great, no commitment too much? Are we extravagant with our time, our resources, our seeking Him? Do we give Him all the honor we can muster with our lives in deed and not just in word? And what does that say about you and I? Are, are, are we a great sinner with a great Savior? Do we treat Him with a great love? Or have we mistaken ourselves just a sinner with little to be forgiven? And therefore, we have little regard. And you know, at the end of the, the, the story, he simply says in verse 47, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And so how's our love this morning? How's our love? Do we wake up with a, our hearts pounding, just thinking about the Lord, thinking about all that he's done? When was the last time we even said thank you? When was the last time we've even said, Lord, here's my life. Lord, here's, here's what I have. Lord, take it. You know, the, the, the reality is we can get comfortable in life. We can get comfortable in all of the comfort that God gives us. But we've got to get back to the basic of just loving Him like we should. Of living our lives understanding that life isn't perfect. And we're not perfect, but God in His grace rescued us. And to whom is forgiven little, loves little also. But to whom is forgiven much, loves much. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we can't say that enough. And Lord, I, I know that there's, there's been too many times where my, my love has really just hasn't been where it should have been for you. Lord, I've, I've allowed life's challenges I've allowed the distractions of life to Lord just to eke away at the Lord at the at the, the at the love that I ought to have and the the treatment that I ought to give you Lord I pray that you'd help us Lord today to just come back to a place of recognizing our great debt before you and then if we're saved the great salvation and the great forgiveness that you gave and then help us then to adjust the way we we treat the things of you Lord, your church, your word, Lord, your message. Lord, those things that, that really you are in. I pray that then you'd help us to just be sober about that this morning. Peter can begin to play, heads bowed, eyes closed. No one